Hey, my name is Katie Pijanowski, and I'm a certified life coach and motivational speaker, and I'm here to help you unlock your true strength so you can create the life of your dreams. I teach you my best tips to master your mindset, create confidence, and empower yourself to take back your life. It's your time. This is the Mind and Body Strong Podcast. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I am super excited for today because I have a new guest for you, and her name is Sierra Spencer. She's actually someone who I met at a health event when I lived out in Colorado, and we still stayed connected. I actually started noticing about a year ago that she was actually doing a lot of the work that I was getting into, which is healing with food and body image. And she is actually really focused in on eating psychology, which is really cool. She's actually professionally trained and certified by the Institute of Psychology of Eating. And she works with people who have challenges around weight, overeating, binge eating, body image, and a number of other health concerns like digestion, fatigue, mood issues, and so much more. She's also a wife and a mom of two and really brings that her her view of her experience of how she was able to go from counting almonds to prepare for a fitness competition all the way to finding this new full love and exception and compassion for herself and how she's now teaching other women to do that as well as teaching these new food freedom techniques to her kids and allowing them to make the choices themselves, which I think is super, super empowering. So all my moms out there, all of my people out there who are still looking for ways to find food freedom, my friend Sierra is going to walk you through the process and really show you and give you some great tips and concepts to help apply to your own journey. So I'm so excited to hop into this episode today. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Sierra. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you too. So for all my listeners out there, Sierra and I actually met when I lived in Colorado at a uh, fitness event. And that's kind of where we had this um, mutual connection there and had met at a couple of these events. And I saw recently that she's been doing a lot of really great work with eating psychology, really bringing in um, this new way to look at eating and just healing around body image. And I know she's going to just have so much really great stuff to share because I really agree with everything she has to say. So I'm really excited to have this conversation to kind of hear from you about how you moved into that, because I know your journey and where you started and how you were able to kind of move through that. And I'm excited for my listeners to get to like know you and how you shifted into this new way of helping people with food and body image. Yeah. So kind of where that shift came from and going from uh, fit. So I used to be a fitness coach, health and fitness coach. And um, I even was a fitness competitor doing fitness competitions, kind of on this quest for honestly body perfection. If I get down to the nitty gritty of it, it was me thinking that if I was thin and had abs, then that would make me successful. And that would make me beautiful and happy and everything in my life would just be perfect and easy. Um, it was just this, just this kind of belief that I, I needed to be thin, um, whether that was just from growing up in the in, you know, culture through high school. Um, I developed a pretty severe eating disorder in high school, all on this quest just to be thin. Um, so my eating disorder continued up and down through college. Um, and then I decided to do a fitness competition thinking like, oh yeah, like 
this doing this fitness competition, it'll, I'll finally like be happy with my body. And then my eating disorder will just go away. Like I'll finally just be perfect. And then I won't have this anymore. Um, obviously, you know, clearly that did not work. Um, so, you know, when you're hyper-focused on your body and food, um, I think I was eating tilapia and asparagus three times a day. I was in the gym about two to four hours a day for months. Um, and you know, I finally got my body down to this small, small size and there I am on stage in my high heels, fake orange tan, sparkly bikini, you know, doing this fitness competition and I'm on stage with these lights on me and I'm, I'm up there and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my shoulders aren't round enough. My butt's not big enough. Shouldn't have skipped that ab workout. So there I am in the best shape of my life, still picking myself apart. Shouldn't have eaten that rice cake. <laughs> one, that one rice cake, that extra yeah, rice cake. That totally ruined you know, it. I should, I should have eaten 11 almonds instead of 12. Um, you know, so there I was just completely obsessed with food and my body. Um, it was all I thought about. And um, on the outside, I looked you know, I was getting all these compliments and all these, you know, you look amazing, you look great. Um, and no one knew that on the inside, you know, I was struggling with an eating disorder. I had extreme adrenal fatigue. My digestion was a mess. I lost my, my monthly cycle. My hair was falling out. I was the most unhealthy I had ever been in my life, even though on the outside I appeared healthy and fit. Right. And so I think that was, you know, a huge, I mean, a huge pivot in my life would be like, wow, like here I am the thinnest and most perfect body I'm ever going to have. And I'm still not happy. Um, so from there, because of the work I did, I started getting a lot of clients wanting what I had, the body I had. So I started doing health coaching and prescribing diets to people. Um, and after a couple of years of doing that and myself, yo-yo dieting. So I probably gained about 30 pounds in a month after I stopped doing that. I mean, just my body just rebounded. Mm -hmm. Um, it was so mad at me. My metabolism was so screwed up. Um, I even had troubles getting pregnant. I didn't, you know, like I said, I didn't have a monthly cycle. Um, I'm pretty convinced it was a huge part of having infertility issues. Um, so that kind of led, I, I finally, we did, my husband and I did in vitro and we got pregnant with our first daughter. And this is when I had this major kind of aha moment after I had my first daughter, I went right back into like, gotta lose the baby weight. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Like when does this end? Yeah. When does this obsession with food and counting and work? Like when does this end? And I just kind of like imagined myself, like I just had this moment, this like, you know, flash in my mind of me sitting in a nursing home, like counting the fat grams of my pudding. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my God. Like this doesn't end this is going to be me the rest of my life, like constantly obsessed with food and my body. I'm like, how do I get out of this? Like, how does this end for me? Like, I don't want my life to be about this. Um, especially looking at my young daughter, I don't want her to have the same struggles I did. Mm -hmm. So how can I be an empowered, like, how, do, how does this happen? And that's really where my, my thinking shift. And I started doing a lot of research into eating and psychology, mind, body, nutrition, um, getting to the root causes of my, my issues with food and body um, that had actually nothing to do with 
having a perfect body. Um, and through that, that's really where I, um, I found the Institute for Psychology of Eating. Um, and I got trained and certified as an eating psychology coach. Um, and that's kind of where I was just like, I had to leave that other, I had to leave everything behind. I had to completely retrain my brain and my body um, and heal my metabolism and heal my mental, my mental state too. Um, and that was about three years ago. And since then I've, I opened up my own um, company coaching primarily women um, through that process of letting go of the diets and letting go of food obsessions and how to actually just live your life free from diets and be happy and confident and, you know, actually be the woman they're meant to be without just the obsessing with diets and food and feeling so controlled um, by that. So that's really where, that's a little bit of my story and how I came to do what I do today. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so cool to see like how you've kind of progressed through your journey. And it's always like this evolution of like, you know, what's next. And I love that vision you had where you realize like, when does this stop? And that was what really sparked you into finding this new direction. Like there has to be another way. And I kind of experienced a lot of that myself while I didn't do fitness competitions. I was in this health field where I was a trainer and I had all this pressure on me that ultimately I put on myself to look a certain way, to eat a certain way. I was so afraid of eating things out and having people question me mm -hmm. like, oh, of course, either, either one of two things, of course you're eating the healthy thing or, yeah. oh my gosh, you can eat chips and salsa and I'd like be mortified because oh, yeah. I, I just, in my head, when I was in that position, it was like, I was constantly worried. Even when I was like my thinnest six pack abs, I was struggling so much on the inside. Like you said, people yeah. are making compliments that you're so fit, you're so healthy. And every single day I would step on the scale and like degrade myself. And it's so, it's so difficult. So I want to kind of dive into like, I know you kind of mentioned your shift, but now with eating psychology, where do you dive in with your clients who might be still struggling with that? And how do you kind of help pull them out of that to find like their real truth? Yeah. Um, so I think the first thing, I guess the first thing, if a client is looking for help is getting out of the diet mentality right? So throwing away the diet books, um, unfollowing people that are not inspiring or are, you know, constantly obsessed with looks and fitness. And um, not that that can't be inspiring, but for a lot of people that are trying to get out of that cycle, the diet mentality is, you know, to stop the yo-yo dieting um, and really like working together on kind of proving to your brain that diets don't work. You know, 98% um, of people that go on a diet, it comes back, the weight comes back within a year or two, depending on the study you look at. Um, so we work a lot of through their, their own diet history. So we kind of prove to them, you kind of prove to yourself like, wow, diets really haven't worked for me. Um, because my question to clients is, you know, we look at like all the diets they've been on or lifestyles, or I'm talking like whole 30. It's super sneaky. Now we don't do diets now. Like diets are not cool anymore. Now it's a lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. It's super sneaky now. Um, in the nineties, it was like really popular. Like oh, I'm doing the grapefruit diet. Like it was popular. Now it's like, Oh no, we're not a diet. You just have to track every single, everything you eat that goes in your mouth, but it's not a diet. 
Yeah. Um, so we kind of look at those sneaky traps, um, diet traps, and then we kind of go do a diet history and look at, you know, the things here's the big, the big shift for a lot of clients is looking at all these diets that they said, Oh, well, that was a successful diet. I lost all this weight, but then they gained it all back. So is that a true success? Not in my eyes. A diet is not successful. If you're gaining the weight back, that's how Weight Watchers makes their money. <laughs> it's with recurring clients. That's how the bulk of their, their money is made is through repeat customers. I, I worked with a woman who was in her seventies. I typically work with younger women, um, but I did work with a client who was in her seventies. She had been doing Weight Watchers for almost 50 years. A lot of dieting on and off, gaining and losing the same weight their, their whole life, right? And with every diet you go on, it, it just kind of screws up your set point and you're just, you know, I think if more people knew that dieting was a predictor for weight gain, it would kind of shift our thoughts around like maybe restricting and dieting. Um, so I, I don't, I think I answered your question. Yeah, no, that was, that was wonderful. And I, I agree that we need to voice that going on these diets and restricting is a precursor to just gaining it all back. And yeah. I think with the diet part of it, they're all marketed around do this diet, do this exercise program, and you will be happy and perfect and all will be well in the world. And I believe that for a while. Um, I'm lucky to have only gone to diet cycle for maybe three years of my life. Um, I was very against it. My mom grew up, I grew up watching my mom, like literally I was in the Weight Watcher room when I was like five. And I remember like watching my mom be so unhappy with her body always. Yeah. It was such a source of shame for her. And I remember as I was kind of going through my healing process, realizing like as a young girl, like that I kind of had attached a lot of my mom's like really awful feelings about her body and like kind of took some of that on myself almost as a way to like try and help her because she was always yeah. upset. Right. And I gained a lot of that from her. And, you know, as a young girl looking around to all these women who I thought were amazing and to see that they were so unhappy and they needed to change. Like, I think for especially young, young people, it's so, they're so good at being in touch with themselves and to see all these adults who they look up to, like trying to change everything about them can be so confusing and really right. set us up to go down this path of always looking to grasp onto things from the external world to try and fill this void inside of us. Right. Yep. And especially with young kids, like you had mentioned, um, when you're looking at a parent, for example, like they're your life, they're your life support. So you it's almost like in our biology, we don't see anything wrong. Like we cannot see something wrong with our parents when we're kids. So it's really upsetting when we see our parent kind of like self harming or, or talking negatively about, even if it's like, God, my thighs are so fat or I mommy's, you know, shouldn't be eating this ice cream. All they hear is you're perfect. So does that mean, and then they take it on themselves. Right. So especially around like, you know, well, ice cream is bad for you. Kids hear, Ooh, but I like ice cream. So that means I'm bad. Yeah. Right. They don't hear that it's the ice cream. They hear, Oh, I like ice cream. So I must be a bad kid. Right. So it's, you know, it's, which is a huge part of, you know, a motivator and a big why for a lot of the clients I work with is they want their kids to have a healthier relationship with food first. And they know that it starts with them. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm not a mother myself, so I can't speak to that part, but I know that one day I want to be, which is kind of like a longer term vision of not wanting my kids to grow up that way because I watched my mom do it for my whole life and went yeah. through my own little journey of it. And I think a breaking point for me was when I was going through a nutrition program with a like weight loss company that was basically teaching you to measure out all of your kids' food and like certain proportions. And I just was like, I remember going through that course and thinking like, this is not a way to live. I would never, ever, ever tell someone to only eat foods from a certain cookbook and to like deny all of their like food wants. And like, especially for their kids, like some kids are picky eaters. Like maybe they just don't want to eat vegetables, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, and it's okay. Like introduce them to new things. I don't know if you have experience with that you have two young girls, yeah. um, how you're kind of teaching them. Well, I can definitely say if you don't, if you want your kids to eat vegetables, don't <laughs> like the, I feel like I hear this so much as a parent, right? Like, well, you got to eat your broccoli before you eat your ice cream. You literally just set up your kid to hate broccoli, no matter if they liked it beforehand. Now they definitely don't like it because yeah. you just made it icky, right? You, you just created that, <laughs> so, you know, really like it's there, there is no this or that, you know, um, for example, if, if there are any parents listening, right. So like if I'm every now and then, like I just serve ice cream or let's say it's a cookie with dinner and I say nothing. I'm like, okay, for dinner, you have, um, you know, chicken, you have some broccoli, you have some carrots and you have a cookie here. There's no like, oh my God, cookies are bad for us. Or it's, it's just, here's a cookie. It's a fun food. Like, do we have cookies at every meal? No, they're fun. Um, and then we talk about how like, you know, chicken has protein. And you know, my daughter was just saying today, she's like, cookies make me big and strong. I'm like, well, I was like, cookies don't have much protein, but they have a carb. Carbohydrates have energy and they're, they're a fun food. And she's like, oh, okay. You know, so you can still educate without demonizing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that's a big thing in our culture and our society is demonizing food. I know um, Christy Harrison on the Food Psych podcast, she talks mm -hmm. about that a lot. See, and that's the first time I really heard about that. Um, so when you're working with your clients and they have this very like good food, bad food relationship, how do you kind of help them work through that to find like what's good for them? Yeah, um, that's definitely part of one of the, the first things that we we go through when I'm working with a client is how to get out of that good food and bad food, like bad food mentality, and how to see food as neutral. Um, and that's a process. So going through, you're not a good person because you ate kale, and you're not a bad person because you eat a cookie. So we, we work on taking the morality out of food. Okay, so are there foods that are more nutritious? Sure. Are there foods that have less nutrition? Yes. I'm not saying like, just go eat a bunch of donuts and ice cream. Okay. But we have to have food neutrality and look at foods as balanced and every type of food has its place. Okay. So dose makes the poison is kind of my mentality, right? So are, is ice cream inherently bad? No. Is eating a gallon of ice cream a night probably not the best for you? Yeah. Now, if I all of a sudden said you can never have ice cream again, are you going to be focused on ice cream and wanting it every second of the day? You bet. <laughs> right. So um, it's really working on releasing this whole good food, bad food and guilt around food. And that, take, that takes practice is releasing the guilt around certain foods um, and just being able to enjoy them. Because of guilt, if you're eating food with any kind of guilt, it creates a stress response in your body. 
So guilt is one of those feelings that when it's activated, your body goes, whoa, like this is a negative feeling. This is stressful. We must be under a lot of stress. Your body shifts into fight or flight mode when it's under stress. So the minute your brain perceives any kind of stress, whether it's real, real stress or an imagined threat. So like basically your brain thinks, okay, holy crap, we're being chased by an angry gorilla. We better slow down, shut down metabolism, hold on to fat, stop building muscle. This is stressful. So you could eat your ice cream with that kind of mentality because you're so stressed out and feeling guilty about it. Or you could eat your ice cream in a place of love, compassion, and just enjoyment and actually enjoy your ice cream and your metabolism is going to be way more efficient. Yeah, I totally believe in that. And just how you eat is so important in how you're setting yourself up to be in a relaxed state to actually enjoy and be mindful about the foods you're eating. And I think what I've seen in my own journey is when I slow down, actually eat the foods and like feel the textures, then I kind of can realize like there, oh, there's probably certain foods that I wouldn't eat in excess. Like I used to really struggle with binge eating and I would eat like a ton of popcorn, like a whole bag of popcorn. I mean, it was just really bad. And when I was going through my process, it was like, okay, this isn't bad, but how is this actually making me feel, you know, like coming to that neutral place, like you keep coming back to. And when I really got down to it, I was like, I don't even like this. Like, I don't even like this sensation in my body. Um, there were certain foods I was binging on that I didn't even like the taste of it. And I was like, why, you know, I can choose to eat something that I actually enjoy or, you know, so you, you actually have choices. Exactly. And you come to a place of feeling choice once you've gotten rid of those food rules And the scarcity mindset is gone because then all of a sudden, this is kind of the transformation that I see clients go through, just like you and I have, we've all gone through our own process with making peace with food, but where all of a sudden, you know, my client's like, oh my gosh, for the first time in months, I actually craved vegetables. You know, I, I get that question. I'm like, well, I just want to crave healthy food. Well, if you are still in this process of like demonizing sugar, for example. And like, I have to like, think about every time you went on a diet, you just had to eat kale or something. Of course, you're not going to want it. So when you start making peace with food and food is neutral, you actually start actually, you do crave vegetables again. You just have to go through the process. You kind of, I, I usually have clients make a checklist of all the foods that they are afraid of or have been avoiding because they're afraid it's going to make them fat. It's called like a forbidden food list. And they, we go through and we eat every single one of those foods. I have some clients, like you said, like, I didn't, I didn't realize I didn't, I don't even like popcorn. Yeah. Right. The same thing. So we just release the guilt and actually we start eating those foods instead of guilt with pleasure. I mean like, Oh, maybe I actually don't need this food in my life, but you're coming from a place of empowerment and choice rather than a restriction and dieting mindset. Absolutely. And I think from the health field that we were both a part of before this type of journey, it was very much prescriptive. It was like, eat this food in this order, in this portion, And from this place, you're really empowering your clients to make that choice for themselves. Like, okay, you're afraid to eat the cereal. Let's eat the cereal and see how it makes you feel. And then they decide from there, okay, I I enjoy this cereal. It actually is a filling breakfast. Or maybe it's like, eh, I don't really care for it that much, actually. I don't know why I craved it in the first place. And giving them that, like you said, empowerment, I think is so powerful. 
Yeah, and I mean, there's a a principle, there's a, a concept in intuitive eating. Um, it's kind of like mindful eating. It's a it's it's getting pretty popular right now, um, but it's called the habituation effect. So basically, the more that you're exposed to a certain food, the less pull it has over you, um, with certain extents. Like I, I tend to have my own eating psychology thoughts around that whole effect, but it makes sense, right? If you are forced to eat, you know, I had a client, for example, she like was obsessed with carrot cake, but she never allowed herself to have it except for one time a year because it was like so bad. It was so fattening, too much sugar. So, um, I think she was terrified and hated me for a week, but I was like, okay, cool. I want you to go buy five carrot cakes and have them around you at all times. And if you want a piece, whenever you want a piece, you're going to eat a piece. Um, so the habituation effect did help with that because what happened was after a week, she's like, Oh my God, I am so sick of carrot cake. Like she, it's like, almost like you need to get it out of your system and then be like, okay, it's okay. If I eat carrot cake, I can have it whenever I want. And then you get to make the powerful choice to not have it mm-hmm. or if you want to, but if it's always feeling restricted, it's always going to have control over you. Yeah. Absolutely. And giving them that choice is again, so powerful. I, I went through that process, not with a specific food, but there was a lot of like, I wouldn't keep snack foods in the house because I was under the impression that I would just eat them all because I had done it before. Mm -hmm. And when I started keeping them around and allowing them to be there in, and it wasn't just like one, like I would buy quite a few different snacks. And then it was like, Oh wait, I always have snacks available. Like they're always there for me. So now I don't have to eat them all because I know they're always going to be available because I'm not going on the diet tomorrow. (laughs) Exactly. It's like that last supper mentality that they teach in intuitive eating, where Mm -hmm. if you feel like you're going to go, if you're going to go on a diet on the Monday, then the Sunday before you're eating all of the snacks, everything. Everything. The last diet effect. Yep. Yeah. And it it doesn't set you up to, I mean, I experienced the weight cycling where I do the diet and I lose Mm -hmm. the weight and then I gain some back and feel like unsuccessful. Right. And oh man, I'm doing something wrong with my life. I need to go back on the diet. And that's where we start to like yo-yo as they say Mm -hmm. through all of that. Yep, exactly. Yep. The weight cycling and the yo-yo dieting. Um, I mean, the, even, you know, it's just, it's way more detrimental to your health to yo-yo diet than it is just to stay one weight consistent weight your whole life. Right. They even looked at like people that have never dieted ever are really pretty much the same weight, like within like 10 pounds, pretty much their whole life. But it's like the minute, unfortunately, the minute you start dieting is the minute that you, your metabolism is always trying to like reset and figure out what the heck it's, Cause your body doesn't know you're dieting. Mm-hmm. It thinks every single time you're it's in, it's in a famine response. You're setting yourself up to be in a famine, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So your body, like I said, your body doesn't know your physiology, your biology doesn't know that you're trying to look good in your pants or that bikini or whatever it thinks. Oh my God, we're starving on a desert Island. This is terrifying. Like slow everything down, preserve the fat, hold on. Like we we're in for lean times ahead. Mm-hmm. That's every time you go on a restriction, your body and your brain switches into that gear. And then you switch into the state afterwards of, okay, food's available now. So now I must stock up, which is yeah. where a lot of people might experience the weight gain plus some. Exactly. And that's where exactly what happens is your biology is kicking in. It's saving you, right? Your biology is saving you and being like, Oh my God, thank gosh you know, where we have food available, like eat it all. And that's where I, I hear so many people that I have no willpower. I don't know what's wrong with me. Yeah. 
if you are in a famine response, or if you are binge eating, you are in a famine response. If you're overeating all the time, you're in a famine response. If you're yo-yo dieting, you're in a famine response. It is not about willpower. And if you're one of those people that you were like, I could never stick to a diet. Like I would last like a day. Congratulations. That means that your body is actually really good at letting you know that, Hey, you better start going and eating everything in the site. We're about to be in a famine. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with your willpower and how good you are at sticking to a diet. You can actually congratulate yourself for winning that one because your body is really good at basically signaling your brain to start eating, 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 eating to, to try to not go into that famine response. Yeah. Or you know, even you could even argue people that are in bigger bodies just ha- are better adapted at survival. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's so cool that our bodies can regulate like that and that they're really trying to help us. And that's kind of the process I went through in my healing journey is like, oh, my body actually really helped me survive a really hard time in my life by going through this and gaining the weight was what I needed to do in that moment. And that doesn't happen for everyone going through this kind of process. You you know, that you always say there's three things that can happen. You say the same, you lose weight or you gain some and it doesn't really matter. It's a neutral place. And in my journey, I had to gain weight to be back at that place. And it's interesting now sitting at a place where I'm way the same as I started a health journey four years ago. And I'm more happy in this body and confident than I've been in a smaller body where I still looked at myself and thought this isn't enough. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar experience. I feel like my body is about the same as when I thought everything was wrong with it and I needed to lose weight. And I think it's just this mentality of like, always got to be your best self. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't really allow ourselves to just be like, and I think once I got that in my mind, like I'm okay the way I am. I don't have to be any other way. I don't have to like make my body some other way to be accepted or loved. You know, I am okay just the way I am. Mm-hmm. I don't need to fix or change. I need to just like be okay. Now, is it so okay to like, you know what? I want to like do some push-ups and like feel stronger and like that is totally okay. One, it's coming from a place of love and, you know, enjoyment, but from a place of punishment, it's just never going to work. Acts of punishment never lead to a result of self-love. You're not going to wake up and be like, I love myself now that I'm thin. If you've been hating yourself the whole time, it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, you cannot hate yourself into this like loving relationship <laughs> with your body. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense when you say it like that. Yeah. It doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah. I look back at pictures of myself and when I was in a smaller body and just think, wow, I used to look at myself and still not feel like it was enough. And I look back and I just like send so much love to that, that girl who did just didn't know any differently. And um, I think a lot of people struggle with that relationship between exercise and food. Yeah. You see that happen a lot with your clients. Yeah. So as far as like, as far as the exercise piece goes, right. Like, you know, I have a lot of people that are like, I just need more motivation. Like I just need, they just come to me like, I just need you to motivate me. I just need to be motivated. I need to like want to, I need to, I just can't, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just, I know I should exercise. I know I should be eating these healthy things, um, but I'm not. And that's the thing that the clients that I work with are very intelligent. They know a lot about nutrition. They know a lot about health. They probably know more than me about nutrition sometimes from all the books they've read. But at the end of the day, knowing a lot about nutrition exercise does nothing. (laughs) 
you can know a lot of things, right? Um, but there's been, there's blocks there, right? So um, when you're looking for motivation, you know, motivation is external, right? Like you're waiting for motivation to show up and for something magical to happen. Now, when we start letting go of exercise as punishment and using food or vegetables, for example, as punishment, something magical happens. You start actually choosing to do the exercise or choosing to eat the vegetables because you want to, not because it's forced. That comes from inspiration. You're inspired to move your body. You're inspired to exercise. That comes from within, not some coach or someone else pushing you to do that because that'll never work. It's like that teenage inner rebel comes out and it's like, screw you. I'm not doing that. And that's usually what happens. It's not the motivation that's lacking. It's that the relationship with exercise and food is coming from a place of punishment. You know, so for a lot of people, for a lot of clients I work with, it's, it's putting any kind of harsh or punishing exercise on the back burner for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, There's this really interesting case study um, kind of, kind of what's the word I'm looking for. It goes to show why the eat less exercise more kind of mentality in our culture is such a myth. So, and it has to kind of go with exercise as punishment. There was a marathon runner who was running eight to 10 miles a day, um, eating 1200 calories a day. And she would finally went and saw a practitioner. She's like, I don't know why I'm not losing weight. I'm running 10 to 12, you know, eight to 12 miles a day, like, you know, killing herself running, like training for a marathon. And she's only eating 1200 calories a day. Like what's wrong? Why isn't she losing weight? Why isn't she, you know, she wasn't stick thin, you know, her body type, you know, you would look at her and be like, she does not look like a marathon runner. Um, actually know an iron a woman that does Ironmans that is about five zero and 150 pounds. She's just oh, this round body type and is like a hoss, you know, mm-hmm. anyway, beside the point. So back to the case study with the marathon runner is so the practitioner says, okay, let's increase your healthy fats. Maybe you're not getting enough calories. She's like freaked out. She's like, no way. If you increase my calories, I'm going to gain weight. So just, just try it for a month. Let's see what happens. So after a month, the marathon runner, she's still running. She increases her calories. She didn't gain weight, which is good, but she also didn't lose it. So she's still mad, right? Like I'm still trying to lose this weight. So he says, okay, I want you to stop running. No more running. Why do you even like, why are you even running? Do you even like it? And she was like, actually, I I don't even like running. I'm just doing it because, you know, marathon runners are thin and I want to be thin. So I should just run. And so at that, you know, the practitioner's like, okay, no more running, walking. And what else do you like to do? She's like, well, I really like dancing. Okay. Walking and dancing for the next month. And then, you know, she walked away from that being like, okay, awesome. I'm just going to gain all this weight. She was mad, right? Like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. So she comes back a month later and she's actually lost eight pounds and she's doing zero running, no exercise. The only kind of exercise she's doing is walking her dogs and dancing a few times a week. And she's increased her calories. So for this particular woman, this goes to show her body was in such a stress response. So the type of exercise she was doing was actually putting her body into a physiological fight or flight mode. Um, So for this particular woman and her body type, that intense exercise was negatively affecting her body. So the whole eat less, exercise more is is such a myth. It's not true. If If that actually worked, wouldn't we all be having these thin bodies by now, we'd all be thin. (laughs) That doesn't work. Um, it just, it just doesn't work. So, um, it just kind of goes to show there's so many diet myths out there that are just 
untrue and we don't question them because we just, that's just what we know. Yeah. And it's so hard to, you can't prescribe someone a certain amount of like calories. I hate the whole mentality of like calories in calories out, because I don't think that's necessarily true. I think, you know, our body is kind of, if we can really be in tune with our bodies, we can know like certain, certain days we're going to eat more, certain days we're going to eat less. And if we can just like know that that's okay, like, and lean into that. And I think it's so interesting that study you shared where she just, she stopped running and just kind of did joyful movement Mm -hmm. and how that actually allowed her body to bring her back down to a weight that was maybe more towards her set point. Right. Um, And I think that's where people go wrong is thinking that they need to do all these really hard exercises. And I taught boot camps that were very difficult and people would come and be so mad after 30 days of not losing any weight. And I'm like, you are killing yourself at these boot camps every day. Like, and then on top of it, if some of them just chose to diet, you're not, your body's like, oh my God, we're dying. Like hold on to everything, everything. And don't lose any weight. This is a dangerous situation. And like the runner is like, that's what I was thinking too. She's probably putting herself in a stress response. Yep, exactly. And especially like, you know, when this podcast episode comes out, like right now, while we're recording, we're in the, you know, this COVID-19 virus insane stuff right now. Um, and a lot of, a lot of people's bodies are already functioning at a high level of stress. So looking at like looking at your workouts and making sure you're not doing super, super high intensity, kill yourself workouts right now, just because our, a lot of people's bodies are in a higher level of stress and adding that stress on top of it could actually diminish your immunity and your metabolism because it's like you said, it's, you're putting your body into that stress response. So it is something that's like, okay, this is not the time. This is definitely not the time to diet. This is definitely not the time to kill yourself with exercise. And it's definitely not the time to binge eat all the time either, either. So this is the perfect time to like actually kind of take a step back and look at your relationship with food and eating and exercise, um, during this time of like, you know, the virus and taking care of yourself. Yeah, that's how I've seen it too, as a really unique opportunity for us to, we can't run away, right? Like we're all pretty much stuck inside. We have to really look inside and like be with ourselves. And I think for a lot of people that was really scary for myself as as well as like sitting with my thoughts and actually digesting those instead of putting all this food in my body. (laughs) So, and that's, I think the, I mean, kind of going back to your first question is what do you start with first when you work with clients is getting out of the stress response, getting our, your body out of reaction, um, famine mode. Um, like I said, with, especially with right now, with what you're dealing with, with, with the, you know, COVID-19 is a lot of us are in an automatic stress response and it's push, it's just driving us to the pantry. So, I could give you all these tools and tips and tricks to not go to the pantry, but if we don't address the underlying stress and how to manage that stress, um, it, like all these strategies and tools are not are going to do nothing. We got to address how your body and how you are handling the stress that you're in. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have some tips for different ways to help handle stress? I know it's different for everyone and it's not going to be some prescribed thing, but what are some things that yeah. maybe help you? Yeah, I'm, I think there's, there's certain ways to like, really, you know, there's a, there's a kind of these step-by-step process on how to change the way you feel. Um, and that this is kind of like getting into a meditative state, like taking a break, like if you have kids, like 
go lock yourself in the bathroom for five minutes, um, put on a movie, like really getting yourself into a place of relaxation, um, at least a few times a day, um, just taking those five to 10 deep breaths. But the step-by-step process for changing the way you feel is the first thing is just acknowledging how you feel, acknowledging I'm feeling off today. I'm feeling anxiety or I'm feeling stress or I'm feeling anger or annoyance, right? Like acknowledge the feeling out loud, even if it's just to yourself, (laughs) I'm feeling anxious. And then the next step is where do you actually feel that in your body? Where is that stress showing up? Where is that anxiety showing up for you? For me, it's typically my stomach and my chest. That's where anxiety shows up for me. So just acknowledging and getting into your body, like where is it? Get present. And then after you've acknowledged where it is in your body, the next step is to ask, it's kind of feels kind of weird, but ask, what is it trying to tell me? What is it, if it, if it could speak, if this anxiety could speak, what is it trying to tell me? What do I actually need right now? So giving yourself a five minute break to, to do these, I'm kind of taking a pause here, but doing these steps to change the way you feel is during like a five minute pause before you're about, let's say you're about to go into the pantry to, to just stuff your face with something. I want you to like set a timer. Okay. In five minutes, if I'm still feeling like I need to eat something, I can reassess. But for these five minutes, I'm going to take a pause and look at how my feelings are. And you're changing the way you're feeling. So after you've, you've acknowledged, you're like, okay, what do I actually need? And maybe if you're feeling anxiety, it's like, oh my gosh, I need, I need, I need a break. Like I need to go to my room. I need to take a break. Maybe you need to take like a nap or you, that's what you really need is, is a break. Maybe what you need is connection. You need a hug from someone. You need to call a loved one. Maybe that's what you really need. Um, and then the next step is coming from a place of gratitude. So one, what is one small little thing that you're grateful for? Even if it's like the sun is shining today, or maybe it's for me, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I got to take a shower today. One little piece of gratitude can really shift the way coming from a negative place to a a slightly more positive place. And the last step is to smile. It seems super cheesy, but smiling at yourself in the mirror can instantly like lift your mood, even if you don't feel like it. It's just activating those facial muscles, right? Um, Even if you're, it's kind of like that whole fake it till you make it mentality. If you can do those, do that kind of change the way you feel process and acknowledging your feelings, um, and having some gratitude before you get into the pantry and taking that five minute pause that can really help just slow that process down and really get getting into your body. I love all of those tips. I think it is so important to acknowledge those feelings where I feel like so many people run away from those feelings. It's like, I'm feeling this negative emotion. Oh no, I shouldn't be feeling this. Gotta run away. So maybe it's overworking or maybe your drug of choice is drinking or food or whatever it might be. Scrolling social media is a way to like run away from dealing with it and actually just like saying it out loud to yourself. Sometimes I do that to myself. I'll just start talking (laughs) to myself because sometimes when you like actually hear your, hear your thoughts out loud, you're like, that sounds ridiculous. (laughs) And you can more easily point it out and be able to work through it. Like you said, taking that pause and reassessing in five minutes okay, if I still want that food, I'll go eat it, but I'm going to take this time to really find out where I'm at, what I actually need, whether that be like connection, like you said, uh, especially during this time as we record this, where connection is something that might, a lot of us might be lacking to really take that time and, and reach out and get those needs met. Exactly. I love that. 
Awesome. Well, what other kind of tips, like kind, like kind of last tips would you love to give to our listeners about if they're still in this place of shifting into finding a better relationship with food and body, just kind of, kind of some last inspirations or tips for them? Yeah, um, I think one thing to think about um, if you're kind of in this place of like, I know I need to change something or I want to have a better relationship with food in my body is kind of like diving in and being like, why, what's the lesson? Sometimes we don't know the lesson until after it's happened, but why am I struggling with food and my and food and body right now? Like what's this deeper lesson and kind of thinking on like, if this were here to teach me something, what would it be? What is the lesson here for me to learn? And I think, you know, you and I, Katie have kind of known like, okay, we've learned our lessons from this whole body, food, shame, um, those connections we've kind of learned. And now, <laughs> Now it's like our life's work, right? Like it's our life's work. That's what we do now. Um, But kind of looking at like, okay, if this were here to teach me something deeper, what would it be? And kind of like thinking on that, like there is a reason that even if it seems negative, there is a reason that you're dealing with this and you're going through this. Maybe it's, you know, more learning to have more compassion for yourself. Maybe it's you're learning, you're going through this so that you can help others or so that you can kind of pass on this legacy to your kids or your family that, Hey, like, you know, being thin is not all that's out there. (laughs) There's way more to accomplish. There's way more important, amazing things that you can do besides getting thinner and getting out of that mentality can be challenging, but that's why, I mean, that's why Katie, you're, that's why you do what you do. That's what I would, what, what I do so that we can help women be the best versions of themselves, regardless of what their body looks like. Absolutely. So empowering to help people just dive deeper into themselves and pull out that power that we all have. I just feel like we all have this infinite power and doing this work of kind of finding that compassion, I think is a big thing is just pulling that out and realizing like there is so much more than worrying all day long about food and body because there's a lot of really great things you can do in the world Yes, (laughs) when you clear your mind of all of that. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your empowered eating course and some different ways we can work with you or my clients can come find more about your work. Yeah. um, So I actually have an empowered eating course um, coming up here. Um, It starts April 14th and um, it's really to help. It's all around stress eating. It's all around emotional eating, binge eating, overeating, but more specifically how to deal with stress. Um, It's an eight week course all around stress and emotional eating. Um, So that's something you struggle with. It's specifically around stress and emotional eating for this course. Um, But obviously one-on-one, I I do individualized coaching. So whatever you're specifically struggling with, um, I help you know, I help women, specifically women, but I do help men too, but, um, to help kind of get out of this diet mentality and how to do that in the best way that's going to serve you. Um, but you can find me on Facebook, Sierra Spencer, that's C-I-A-R-A Spencer. Um, you can find me on Instagram at eating psych underscore coach and follow me there. Um, I think I'm funny on my Instagram stories. Maybe that's just me, but I, I do a lot of free trainings and a lot of fun stuff on my Instagram stories um, and over on Instagram. I do some live, I do some live training. I also have an emotional eating support group over on Facebook. So if, it's, if emotional eating is something you specifically struggle with, um, I also run an emotional eating su- a support group. If you just type in emotional eating support into Facebook, it'll pop right up um, for a support group. So lots of ways. And, you know, Katie, you're amazing. Thank you so much for reaching out and having me on. Um, it's been 
so fun talking with you and how our journeys have intertwined. And yes. uh, so I really appreciate it. I agree. And thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing your story. And for all my listeners out there, definitely go follow her on Instagram. I think she's funny. So I love it. She's always given like the real, like low down on what's going on and um, you know, she doesn't bullshit. So I love it. Um, so thank you again so much for being yes, here. Thanks. I love it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Mind and Body Strong podcast. You are what makes this movement and message possible. If you loved this episode, share it with a friend, a coworker, a family member, or take a screenshot and share it on your favorite social media platform and tag Mind and Body Strong. To learn more about coaching and courses to help you take your journey to the next level, visit mindandbodystrong.com.